How do social entrepreneurs and small businesses create an authentic brand people love so they can get the edge they need to stand out, create predictable revenue, and compete against the big guys? That's what we're here to discuss. I'm Adam Force, the founder of Change Creator, and this is the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Authentic Brand Mastery Show. Um, really excited today because we're bringing back an old friend. But before I announce who that is, um, the last episode was with Tom Schwab. He's the founder of Interview Valet. And we kind of get into the, the ins and outs of being a guest on podcasts, right? This is a great way to bring um, attention to your business. Um, this is organic, and it just takes a little hustle on your end to get out on those uh, shows um, or you hire somebody like Tom's team and, and they will do it for you. So whatever works, but it is a, a valuable way to bring in clients, to bring in attention, um, and all that good stuff. So check it out if you didn't get a chance yet. It's really valuable for building your brand. Um, so today we are going to be bringing back a guest that we've had before. So he was actually on the first cover of Change Creator Magazine when we were running that magazine. And he is the founder of Ethnotech Bags, where they are keeping culture alive with each bag that they produce. Uh, his name is Jake Orak, and he's just a super cool guy. Um, and after we met that first, after we uh, had him on the magazine, I interviewed him and stuff on the show. This was years ago now. And then we met out in California at a conference, had some dinners and got to know everybody. Um, really cool dude and just doing a great job developing his brand. So he is an artist. He's not a branding guy, but they have developed a brand. They're going to talk about some of the ways it evolved, what's been working, what hasn't, how do they use analytics to grow the brand, um, and why they have some things as a really polished look, why some things are raw and really just authentic. Um, and it's just a great conversation. So I'm excited to have Jake back here, and I think it's going to bring a lot of value to you guys from a branding perspective, also an e-commerce perspective as well. I know we get a lot of e-commerce clients. So, all right, guys, leave us a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. And don't forget to stop by Change Creator. Check us out for our brand studio. Okay, show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Jake, welcome back to the show. How you doing, brother? Good. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, we've had Jake on back in the early days and then we did a revisit and we're having him back again because um, he's an awesome dude and he's a buddy of mine and he's just doing incredible things with his e-commerce business. So we want to talk a little bit more about the evolution of his brand. I think that a lot of you guys listening will just get a lot of value from that. So Jake, for people that don't know you, just give them the, um, like, I, I like to do a little like where, what's going on in ethnotech world today that's exciting and then just back in to give them background on kind of like how you got there yeah sure uh so what's exciting is that we turned 10 years old uh just last month so we're been in business for 10 years uh, rock and steady it's been quite a roller coaster but um that was that was really cool i just did an exercise i wrote an article basically thanking every single human that's uh contributed along the way and that was like a trip <laughs> down memory lane and yeah it's so good you know it's it's all about the people and and um super grateful for everyone that contributed along the way and it's it's been fun it's been fun for sure sweet and uh yeah so that was uh the highlight of the year so far and uh so ethnotech is a social enterprise and we collaborate with artisans in ghana guatemala india indonesia and vietnam and we combine their traditional handmade textiles into our high-tech laptop travel bags so I'm a designer, got a degree in industrial design, um, worked at uh, 3M right out of college, then designed bags for a few other brands before starting Ethnotech. Yeah. And there it is in a nutshell, I think. I love the nutshell. Okay, perfect, perfect. And guys, if you want to really go deep on some of that backstory, like his motorcycle ride, his epiphany and all the stuff for the business, um, that is all in our first interview. So you can backtrack and we will link to that interview when we put this one up on the uh, website as well. Uh, and we'll be, you can check that out. So Jake, I, I kind of want to get into now that you're like further along, because every time we talk, it's been like another year and <laughs> and like I mentioned before, the last time you saw me, I had hair, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, tell me a little bit about, like, I know you were, you started your site on Shopify, right? Yep. And you have like way more products now than you did <laughs> when you started, like your oh, yeah. photography bag, like, and that came yep. from, you know, client requests and stuff like that. Right. Totally. So I'd like to just give people a little taste of where the brand started um, so we can get a sense of the evolution of the brand. Yeah, um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like when you started up on Shopify, are you still on Shopify now or did you still leave? on Shopify? Yep. Okay. So, but you know, you must be doing some, some decent custom work up on that platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much mostly custom by yeah. now, but it's still, yeah. it's still, I love Shopify. You know, it's really intuitive. Yeah. Like once our theme designer is done with it, I, can populate most of it myself or, you know, it's yeah, it's, exactly. It's exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. And so has your, tell me a little bit about where you started, because I want to know, like, has your brand, like, for example, a simple layup is like, has your logo evolved since day one? Uh, no, it hasn't evolved at all. Um, despite my designer perfectionism wanting to, um, it just, you know, people talk about all the time that they love it and it they get it, you know, like it yeah. says what's what the brand is about. And so if it ain't yeah. broke, like yeah, no, I mean, listen, it, so. I, I totally agree. I mean, sometimes people like they don't totally change it, but they'll just start like, you know, shaping it or polishing it a little differently as the company evolves. And I'm always curious. Yeah. Um, you know, like like we go through sometimes rebranding. So would you say that since you started and things have 
you've gone from, you know, I'm making no money and I'm just starting to making, you know, seven figures plus with the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give me like a description of like, how do you feel like the brand has started evolving over time, whether it mm-hmm. started like totally ugly or, you know, we all have our beta versions, but then it, it evolves and gets more polished. Can you talk to me yeah. a little bit about yeah. some of the evolution there? Yeah, I would say, honestly, like not much has changed um, over time. I think that uh, if anything, like the, the focus goes on to improving the product over time and improving the customer experience over time um, through e-commerce and our B2B channels and, and things like that. So um, like our our imagery and our videography has always kind of had a user-generated feel and people tend to really connect with that. Yeah. We have experimented recently with a more professional cinematography quality uh, videos and those actually perform less well than just like me on a gimbal with my iPhone. And I don't know, like for some reason uh, it is that way. And so like since the beginning, we've loved highlighting and promoting our customers with their bags and venturing out in the world and being like really transparent and approachable and human rather than really polished. And so that has worked really well for us. And it, you know, translates really well with the mission, you know, it's like handmade textiles. It's there to elevate uh, traditional handmade art and, and, and fabrics and, and culture. And so to have an overly polished, vibe uh, a gloss on the brand doesn't seem like it would fit it would feel a little bit um synthetic i think in a way Mm, that's interesting and i hear that a lot too you know when especially when it comes to video like the Mm. authentic like i'm in the car in vietnam and we're driving down a bumpy road like (laughs) i know some of those videos i've seen back in the day from you guys and um I do enjoy that also. Um, you know, the polished look, I think immediately says like, Oh, advertising or, and there's this like stigma or something about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess there's a a place for polished videos, but I mean, as far as visual identity goes, like I see a couple of things happening here, like your, your customer experience. And I think the authentic visuals of your videos that is part of your brand identity right that's mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. how you see yourself being expressed to the world and that's what's working for you obviously with mm-hmm. your audience and stuff like that and h- how do you guys actually define your audience these days like who who's really your buyer at this point um it's it's pretty pretty wide in terms of the demographic but it is it does skew mm-hmm. primarily female Okay. And it's, you know, it's usually between like 25 and 55. It's a, it's a wide, wide range. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's not, not to put things in a gender box, you know, like we have a really big, like LGBTQ plus community. Um, and it's, yeah, I would probably say it's like, you know, 70, 30, uh, yeah. male, female. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it's usually, uh, urban suburban, uh, dwellers that either have a, a passion for travel or actually do travel a lot for work or pleasure or both. Yeah. And so it's a, a, people that, you know, probably don't have a huge income, but value quality and products with meaning, you know, people who actually take care and the food they eat, the things they put on their skin, wanting to know where it's made, what it's made of, yeah. um, conscious yeah. consumers. So people willing to pay more for something that has, meaning to it. And so, um, like we're, we're in, we're in bags, you know, high quality tech, like lifetime warranty bags. And, um, that seems to be a pretty, 
pretty easy commitment for people to make, you know, because it's, you know, long lasting and you can use it for both work and for travel. And it's kind of a, uh, a multi-tool of a, of a type of product. So, um, yeah, so it's for people looking for variety and expression and something that actually stands for something. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just going back to that, that brand identity. And and I think, you know, it's nice to know who the audience is because we can see who you're kind of representing yourself to as we talk yeah. here. And I like that you made the point because people get really pigeonholed on who they're trying to talk to with their company. And I like that you made the point about, they care about what they put on their skin and they care about what they eat because we're really getting into, you know, the type of person, right? It's really, and, and there's other, cause I feel like when people get into marketing, they really dial in on reaching. I want people who want bags <laughs> and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, you can go like they might be part, they might be following a blog about vegan food and that's who you'd be targeting for ads and things like that, because that's part of their world. Right. And yeah. so I think yeah. it's just a great point that you made to expand your thinking. The people you're going after, they have lots of things in their world that they're interested in and that make them yeah. who they are. Right. So yeah. and it sounds like you guys have really kind of dug into that quite a bit, which is good. And, you know, just well, to go back um, to the go ahead. Yeah. Just, just to touch on that one more time, like that, yeah. uh, that's actually like a post-mortem observation, to be honest, because we've never, we, well, uh, let's say we stopped getting hyper specific on who, what type of customer to target yeah. because in the beginning, we're like, this is who our customer is going to be. Here's where we're going to sell the bags. <laughs> and we were completely wrong. And so like, <laughs> like, so I, I think, I think the, the key for us, I mean, at least for our brand anyway, um, yeah. is to just like, really know what, what it is your product and service is meant to do. Like what is, what problem is it solving and does it do that well? And is it different? And that's always been my key focus because if it ticks both those boxes, then, then you should find um, a, a group of human beings that will love it <laughs> and buy it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true. And you know, it's cause it's funny. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, we, it's really good to know like the story of who you're trying to talk to. And that's what I always look at. I call it a digital conversation. I mean, you're using the technology, you're, you're, you're talking to them saying, Hey, I got this bag. I know that you probably are interested because this is your lifestyle. And you probably are looking for something not generic, like Jan sport. You're looking for something that has more, meaning behind it, a story. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I have found that marketing does better when to your point, you can broaden it up a little bit, like trying to pigeonhole too much is actually bad. Knowing the customer is important, For but sure. actually when you go to market, like I could go after people who like the food network, because I know my audience, like I find data that they're, if they like Tony Robbins, the same people like the food network, they're obsessed with it. Right. So now yeah. I go after people in the food category. You'd think I'm crazy selling yeah. branding services, mm-hmm. but that's where they are. Right. Yep. So yep. I think that's a really great point for people to, to, to think about. Um, and it's that diversity is, is important because you never know where you might find the right fit for, for that kind of thing. Yep. Um, <laughs> for your identity. Now you say, okay, we keep it authentic. We haven't changed much, but I, I have seen, and I, I follow you guys and I do see an evolution of your identity, right? So the branding, mm-hmm. it goes deeper, right? It's, it's positioning mm-hmm. taglines, all that stuff. And the audience that we're talking about, but the actual identity, um, it builds trust and credibility, right? So like you want people to have a good first impression and things like that. And, and so I have seen an evolution on 
like your site is polished. It's very nicely mm-hmm. done, yeah. right? It, yeah. it is yeah. professional. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's not like yeah. you're in your, your bat cave putting something <laughs> together on wicks. <laughs> Just taping things together. <laughs> um, so like, I doubt that was the first iteration of your site. Like you no, definitely no, must yeah. have evolved. Yeah. Like you got yeah. developers, you know? So when I talk about that evolution, um, as you make money and you're, you're saying, Hey, we're selling these products. Like, all right, let me get a developer in here. Let's take this thing. Let's kind of polish it up a little bit more. Yeah. So you have gone through those phases, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. Like I, I want, like, like I'm, I'm really big on first impressions cause you really only get one. Right. That's so and the website is perfect for that. And I want, like every image to just like, wow you. And I want the, I want things to be easy. Like the shopping experience, the browsing experience, the learning experience should be as seamless as possible and intuitive as, as impossible. And so that website, man, we've been working on it. We work on it every day and we have been since we started, like it's just yeah. a constant testing and optimizing and improving and re-uploading and all of that. And that's, that's probably the evolution mostly and probably incrementally uh, image like the content as well as the, the quality of the content. Probably. I think I might be too close to it, but to me, it feels like the spirit of it hasn't changed much, but um yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and and that's the thing people misunderstand what branding really is and it's how we make people feel. Right. And mm. so the spirit of your brand is there. Cause that's like the, the mm. core of who you are, where this thing was born from. And yeah. I do love seeing the evolution of the identity to become crisper because you're seeing what works. And I think you made a very important point for people, which is you're testing and iterating from mm-hmm. like what's working, what's not, you're looking at the data, right? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, and I get people, you know, sometimes I talk to or coach and it's like, well, it's been a month and this hasn't happened. And I'm like, well, how many people have been on your website? Oh, three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. This is what happens though. And we, we yeah. associate time with the success, not the data. So like yes. you guys are really looking at the data and you're, and I love the fact that you put so much attention to the visuals. I just got off a call with somebody and the last two people we're working with in the brand studio, it's, you need a professional photo shoot, um, you know, for your products and things like that, because that first impression, but also you want your products look sexy as hell for people. Um, that, that, that to me, like the videos, I see the authenticity thing, the pictures, I think they need to be sharp. Right. So, and I feel like you're going down the same road. Yep. Yep. And, and so how do you, um, I guess, you know, that feel, and you found that that feel has a, an impact through your testing. Cause I see you run Facebook ads and things like that. So mm-hmm. you've tested and maybe you, I don't know how close you are to it, or if you have like a ads team or something that may know mm-hmm. this, but just tell me if you're not sure, no. <laughs> um, like, are you finding that like, you're putting up these nice images. Do they perform for you just as well as like the authentic video? So like, you know what I mean? I'm trying to see like yeah. the, the pictures can be polished, but the videos you might want more authentic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a, a lot of times they do. And a lot of times it surprises us, you know, like, like I said, like we tested this new cinematography, cinematography style video yeah, and it, it just didn't perform. Whereas the one that we, you know, I filmed with my gimbal and a smartphone yeah. in yeah. Bali, 
uh, we've been just running that nonstop for the last three years, just because people just latch onto it. And so it's like, oh, wow. So we invested like whatever, six grand in this video, <laughs> like six hours of my time and it's completely opposite revenue. Um, but, uh, but, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's a lot of inverse of that. So it depends on what, like, first of all, who the audience is, because sometimes yeah. you're targeting the wrong people, or a lot of times you don't have control and Facebook just like feeds you an audience. That's just not the right fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, it does depend on who's seeing it and interacting with it. Um, that's a, that's a big one. Um, but also like, like the quality of the imagery for sure, like you said, and and I that's one thing I I tell to a lot of like you know startup owners that are just getting going, is that those product images do make a huge difference. And even though I don't do the studio photography of all of our products anymore, like I kind of delegated that like three or four years ago, I'm yeah. still involved in directing it. And every time we get a new photographer, they're way more qualified than me, but they get like annoyed with me because I'm just like, no, the tripod angle really, really makes a huge difference. Like you got to crouch way low and kind of look slightly up at the product to make it look like a hero. And it's it like that angle makes it look less mundane. If you're like looking at it from eye, eye level and they're like, what? Okay. Just yeah. shoot it. Like, yeah. Good call. It looks better that way. Oh, that's <laughs> this experience then with your own products and stuff. Like, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's such good insight too. And, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm like you, man. I love design. I love like making things look the way it should. Like to me, like there's polished design, but people get hung up. Like when we talk about good design, good design to me is what sells. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, have to be totally. the prettiest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because people vote with their dollars, right? They, they they find a use for the thing that they just bought or they wanted. Like either it connects with their identity or it just improves their life a little bit out of the convenience and the way they use it. So for That's sure, it, That's good it. branding exactly. is just what sells. <laughs> what sells? Unless you're selling uh, junk, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't spend six grand on a cinematography <laughs> video. I, I'm surprised. Did you find out why that? Like, did you get any kind of insight as maybe why that didn't perform so well? Yeah, we don't think it's the, we don't really think it's the video quality. I think it was the timing and um, timing more than anything, because it was for a backpack and it was during COVID um, at the tail end of COVID yeah, kind of like it's yeah. a few months ago. And it was during a period when just people weren't buying backpacks and it's when we are approaching summer. And so we had high competition, um, for ad space. So it's most likely that, um, and our bags are expensive and yeah. coming out of COVID, you know, people's wallets are tighter and people's budgets are tighter. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, I think it's just a, like seasonality and just the, just the, the climate of the market, uh, more than just the cinematography. I think the cinematography at the right timing probably would have amplified it, you know, you know, at 10 X in the opposite direction. So, yeah. 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 I think that makes sense. So there's a number of variables that come into play and, and that's, that's the other part of it is to, you know, for anyone listening, it's like, you really, you don't want to jump the gun, get emotional. Like, Oh, I spent all this money and it didn't work. Well, there's probably a number of reasons if you just take the time to investigate logically yeah. and it sounds like you've thought through it and there's probably a number of variables that contribute to that. But to your point, I always talk about timing. Like you can do the wrong, the right things at the wrong time. And you know, that's, that's catastrophic um, mm -hmm. for a number of reasons, but when you do things and you consider the timing and you get the timing, right. 
you know, things can really blow up and be amplified. So that video is probably not a waste. It's probably something you can roll out at a, another time where that's going to oh, work yeah. out really well. Yep. yep. You know? and, and it's what, it's what we have. We just have it now forever. And it's, it's, it's great to have on the website. It's great to have in various other channels, you know, just, just because it doesn't work on one channel right. or one platform doesn't mean it doesn't work for all. Just find a new home for it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm also curious, just as you are really putting energy into the site's evolution to optimize, optimize, optimize. I mean, that's a part of it. It's like, I always, people are like, Oh, I don't need a website. I'm like, yeah. Okay. You know, like you, you, this is, this is like real estate that you own versus rent mm-hmm. and you don't buy real estate and let it just sit there and do nothing and burn a hole in your pocket. You, yep. you, you build something on it that creates revenue for you and then you optimize it and make it better, better, better. Yep. And so what kind of data do you and your team look for to make decisions? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it changes, but uh, so we have um, a small, but awesome team of people to help with Google ads, Facebook ads, email marketing, and just analytics in general. Yeah. And so, so our analytics manager, he and I kind of work really closely together to like AB test a lot of things on the okay. website in terms of, you know, button color, button placement. And we work with um, a UI UX designer who custom designed a Shopify theme for us. Um, based on the advice of a CRO conversion rate optimization manager who did an audit of our old site and said, if you want to increase conversion rate, um, then you have, you should redo these things. You know, you have a sticky button on mobile and all all these little tiny, tiny tweaks. They weren't a lot of big changes, but when you add them all up, it was a lot. And so we, we work with, um, basically, smart website designers who understand that the core goal is to sell product um, and to eliminate the weird experience people have with your internet or with your, with your website that uh, make them want to leave or confuse them or bore them. Friction points, right? Totally. Yeah. So um, so we do a lot with uh, uh, hot jars. So we do a lot of like screen recordings to yeah. watch actual people, what they do on the website and to see what, what, what are the hot spots and the cold spots of the website. Yep. Um, so we look at uh, return on ad spend. So our ROAS is, was, is a big one, but it's less and less these days after the iOS 14 update. So yeah. we're looking at more at CTR, um, click-through rate and CPM, cost per marketing or cost per impression, um, traffic volume volume and it's a bit more of a black box these days so we're looking we kind of have some benchmarks around ad spend percentage versus overall revenue because what our what our old 3x row has is probably now the like the 1.5 to 1.8 is like the new three point uh row as which is like very unsettling to just say, um, okay, let's, let's just assume that. Um, but yeah, so we're having to like reinvent the metrics that um, are most important to us. And so with email marketing, like we look at open rate, um, click rate, and then always conversion rate. And then just kind of, um, so every, everyone, every platform kind of has its own benchmarks. And then we, we all meet to, uh, monthly and we compare notes and we compare metrics and we make some assumptions and then we uh, make some goals for what to, what to change to improve things over time. And so um, I hope our team, after they listen to this, uh, don't think I'm just like mashing up <laughs> these, <laughs> these, these data points that we all care so much about, um, but ultimately they're, they're definitely the experts and that's why we brought them in, you know, and that's, yeah. 
that was the game changer for us is that like, I, I know my role, like I'm good at high level strategy and vision and does a product design. And when we found people to help with all of the marketing channels that are experts in that domain, know how to report on it, know how to tweak it and they watch it and test it and they test everything. And so we, 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 we hypothesize together, but they're the ones who go away and just work their magic. And, and the common misconception is I don't know how to do that. I don't have the budget for that. And that was my mindset going into it too. But like, you can find really good people on a budget if you a treat them well and have like, you know, passion and enthusiasm and a cool brand or cool product. And so like, eventually you can bring in good talent on a small budget and you all grow it together. If you have the same goals and, and, and kind of make them a part of it and get pay them on a commission, then they're incentivized to just perform and do what do well. And then, you know, just have an internal culture where you don't treat them like a, a contractor on their own Island. They should be a part of your own team, your own family. And then that is the incentive enough to, to do good work. And you can yeah. find people like we love Upwork, Fiverr, yeah. Um, yeah. Just yeah. co-working spaces, word of mouth, connecting with people that specialize in those, those areas. So if you just have, you don't have to be an expert on web design, e-commerce, digital marketing, but you know, just know what you want and try to find the right people. Yeah. Yeah. No, those platforms are really helpful. And I think just being patient to find the right people, because you can put up a job post and make sure you have qualifying questions and you get a lot of people, man. So sometimes I like to go and reach out to specific people that I seek out on those platforms and then have them kind of fill out the application proposal. But you can find a lot of talent and, you know, again, timing, it's like, I feel like when you're in the earlier stages, there's probably some really key data that you'll be tracking on your site to optimize because you're not going to have as much going on as you do, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're, you're the seven figure plus and somebody who is just trying to work their way up to six figures, they're not going to be doing the same thing. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So that's always a mistake I see. And I like to just point that out to anybody listening is yes, Jake has ads and all these things and videos and all this stuff, but like you're not there yet. That's another version of the business. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not in the seven figure space and um, you will have less going on, which means you can hone in like a smaller portion of data to track, to just get done what you need to get done in that moment at that yeah. time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and I always am a fan of like, understanding how these things work at some high level and then hiring. So you don't get screwed over by someone you hire. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, I, I don't need to be a Facebook ads expert, but I've run some ads. I know I kind of know like what I'm looking for and what the benchmarks, like you're mentioning, I know. And for people that don't know ROAS that's return on ad spend, um, you know, when you're running Facebook ads and things like that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of value there and it sounds like, uh, do you do a lot of internal hiring or mostly like external teams that you just kind of grow close with? Yeah, just external, like independent contractors and freelancers that we find either through uh, our own network, word of mouth or yeah. through Upwork. Um, and I'm trying to think of a few other hiring platforms. We found some part-time peeps on yeah. Indeed. And I think... Um, I can't remember. It's escaping me, but there's, there's a few, um, I think nomad list. Uh, but yeah, just essentially just entrepreneurs out there doing their thing. And, and a lot of them specialize in just one thing. Um, yeah. I'm a bit, we've tried to work with like people who do say they do everything and 
that hasn't worked out. Never so goes I, well. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm leery of like a one-stop shop, all digital marketing, full stack person. Um, usually they have a lot of VAs that they delegate everything to, and then they're not really, really in on what's going on. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of what we've done. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. You got to be careful of that. I, I've always been wary of whether it's a person or like even a business platform, like, Oh, we do everything. Your email marketing, your website, your data. I'm like, Oh, that's just like, it's just, it sounds so appealing, but it ends up being yeah. a recipe for disaster because they're a generalist and they don't specialize in anything. Right. right. So yep. like when exactly. hiring, I agree, man, like you want people like you specialize in SEO. Okay, great. I do need to make sure that our content writers know what kind of content we're focusing on and boom, yeah. like, so everybody's got their own specialty. I think that's a good approach to take. So tell me what's next for, um, for your brand, what's going on. Yeah. What's next for us is that we're, um, we're branching out and expanding into Europe now. So nice. we've, we've had distributors there for, for quite a while. And but you sell products online to anywhere in the world right now. Right. So yeah, but you're yeah, just exactly. opening up distribution centers there. Yeah. Just to make it more affordable to the customer, you know, yeah. not have all the barriers of having to pay so much for VAT yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. have to wait forever for things to ship from the U S. And um, so we have, we have an operation, we have a warehouse in Indiana in the U S and then we have one in Australia for Asia Pacific. And now we'll have one in Europe and that should be all we need to, you know, make our products accessible to everyone yeah. in the key, key places yeah. that we're, that people are into our bags. So that's a more of an operational, not so sexy thing uh, to, to be moving on to, but it's well, more foundational. And it'll help us, you know, continue building. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sexy. Like that's very Jeff Bezos of you. Um, <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> nah, I mean, listen, there's one thing I like about the guy. Um, and that is that like since day one, he was not selling products. He was selling customer experience and they obsess over customer experience. Right. Yeah, so yeah. he would be like, well, I have over 4 million square feet of, um, what do you call it? Fulfillment warehouse space in the U S because I want to be as close as possible to yeah. make the shipping a better experience for people yeah. faster, cheaper, yeah. all those things. And yeah. part of your brand is really, it sounds like you obsess over customer experience, right? Take out the friction totally. on the website, make it more appealing, open up a distribution center in in Europe to make it better mm -hmm. for the customer. So, yeah. I mean, it's operational, but it's sexy at the same time because yeah you're thinking of the customer, I guess is my point, <laughs> you know, yeah, thinking of the customer and thinking long-term, you know, like we, the goal isn't to build this and sell this thing. It's like, we want to build a legacy brand that's around for forever. And so like the foundational side of things needs to be tended to. Mm. And um, you know, this is like kind of our one, one last big move operationally. Yeah. Um, so then we can just, you know, again, refocus on storytelling and, uh, once, you know, and that's, that's, that's for a full global e-commerce focus, you know, we'll be, we've been stepping about stepping back from B2B for quite a long time, very slowly, um, so that we just have full brand control and, yeah. you know, yeah. we're not beholden to strict, uh, you know, outdoor industry or fashion industry lead times, which kind of puts pressure on the artisan supply chain and that sort of thing. Um, and so when we can fulfill all of the globe um, through, through our online channels, then we have total freedom and we yeah. can launch yeah. like hyper limited edition collections in just 
Germany or or the Netherlands and okay. the US or Japan, like we have total freedom to do whatever we want. And because we have those kind of uh, operational hubs so that we can uh, really be efficient with it. And so that's when it gets really fun for me is because it like, once that's all set, we get like, okay, now we get to just like play around a bit more and, yeah. uh, and then just really, really hype it up. So, mm. yeah. So what, um, I'm curious, what is most stressful for you right now? Most stressful, uh, probably living back in the U S we've been living in Southeast Asia for like 15 years. And now that we're back here, everything's so expensive. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no doubt about that. So why, why'd you move back anyway? What happened? Uh, well, we, uh, we want to be close to, to, to friends and family. Um, yeah. and we yeah. had, um, some, some deaths in the family and that kind of shaked the tree for us. And we want to be close for that and the celebration of life. And, yeah, um, you know, we've been over there for a long time and we'll always keep going back to Southeast Asia to visit the artisans and the, the, the factory team and, and uh, for product development and all that, we'll probably be going back, you know, still like two, three, four times a year. Yeah. Um, so ready for a change of scenery, want to test the waters back here. So we're from Minnesota. So this is our soft landing and by no means our permanent landing. So um, my wife and I are very nomadic. And so it might be mountains, mountain state next or Ooh, Central yeah. America, who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, so it's just, we need to change it up. I, I find that I kind of stagnate creatively when I'm in the same place yeah. for so long. Yeah. And even though this is like a, an uncomfortable, strange move, like reverse culture shock for me, I, I see that it has a, a good effect on my psyche and it's just pu- pushing me and challenging me. And so, yeah, I just, I kind of always put myself through that kind of pain process to, <laughs> to, to kind of regenerate and uh, it works. And so, so though, though there's all this kind of like new adjustment happening, I see it as a good thing. So, yeah. I think that's awesome, man. I mean, those challenges, you know, sometimes people get emotionally kind of dragged down from it. And I just read a great book from Ryan holiday called the obstacle is the way. So the obstacle mm-hmm. in the path becomes the path, right? Yeah. That yep. whole concept and yep. your mindset was already there. You're already like, well, I see it as a good thing for my psyche mm-hmm. and how it's yep. kind of jolting me. And so, you know, it does jolt the creativity when you're out and about and changing up scenery and stuff like that. Yep. So listen, you know, you're ever out in Miami trying to warm up from those Minnesota winters, um, you let me know because we got a nice Will little do. spot out here. We can connect. <laughs> right on, man. I appreciate the invite. <laughs> Absolutely. Always. Doors always open, man. Same goes for if you're ever in Minneapolis. <laughs> I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially I'm not in the winter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You never know where you land, man. You never know. I don't have yep. any family or anything out there, but if I'm out in Minneapolis, I would definitely connect for sure. Yep. For sure. Yep. Um, listen, man, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, let's just remind people of uh, where they connect and check out all your awesome stuff that you've been building for the past 10 years, man. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, everything flows through ethnotech.com, E-T-H-N-O-T-E-K.com. Um, we have uh, social channels. We're mostly active on Instagram. So uh, at ethnotech bags on Instagram and yeah, those are our two favorite <laughs> jumping points, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's nice to keep it simple, man. You just yeah. go to the website, you can find everything you need there. Uh, lots of good stuff. So anybody checking it out, looking for some new gear. I still have, you know, it's in my drawer here, maybe or somewhere, but the uh, passport travel. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I use that yeah. every time I go out. I love that thing. And awesome. I know, uh, Danielle and Amy have their bags that they fell in love with. And just for people listening, like we were hanging out at a conference in California and, you know, people come up to buy Jake stuff and, you know, Jake has a premium price, but there's, there's, there's a story behind it. That's powerful. And that is attractive because you're supporting artisans and things like that. And when people trade the bag for money there, you're like, welcome to the tribe or, you know, whatever your mantra might be at that point. But people were excited. They're like, oh man, it feels good. I love like just knowing like I'm part of this now. And they, they're yeah. excited to buy the product. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you just said you're going to get back into storytelling. And I just, you know, that brand story is kind of like the, you know, contextual essence of, of who you are and all that stuff. So as I mentioned, you guys can check out one of the first interviews and even the second one, because there's some interesting evolutionary conversation we had there. Um, but you can see where Jake all started and um, get more insights. This was a great conversation. Man. I appreciate you just sharing some of these details about the evolution of your brand identity and your brand strategy focus on customers and pictures and all these things. That's uh, really, really great. So great to see you again, man. And you I appreciate too. it. Yeah, thanks. Until next time. Until next time. Okay. Thanks for tuning into the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Don't forget to stop by changecreator.com for more information, fresh articles, content, and our services if you're looking to build a brand that people love. And please stop by iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate your support.